Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. title of the talk is Behind is Just a State of Mind. This culture that we live in is insanely fast. Techno-driven sound bite driven things go really fast in our culture it seems that um, faster is better in fact uh, I've mentioned before there's these commercials that uh, AT&T puts out they play them a lot on uh, on, at sports uh, sports broadcasts uh where this guy sits around with some kids. How many people have seen these commercials? You know, and it's a, a table of kids. What's better? Uh, what's uh, what's better? More or less? More. The kids say. You know, <laughs> the the disease of our culture. You know, what's better? Um, slow or fast? Fast. You know, it's so deep in our psyche that faster is better, more is better, and it is heading us down a very dangerous road or off a very dangerous cliff unless we wake up, unsustainable as it is. Uh, But it's so much a part of our psyche, and sometimes fast is good. Uh, but for the most part, we get caught up in the momentum of the speed, not to mention the messages that we hear. You know, you get, uh, what is it? Oh, the, the iPhone 6 has come out. Ten million of them sold in the first few days. Wow. What happened to all those iPhone 5s and 4s, you know? <laughs> Why is it so popular? It's faster, more powerful, instant. You know, Instagram, that's where it's at, you know. Oh, yes, Instagram, very cool. Or if, you're, if your computer takes some time to boot up, <laughs> that's definitely a sign, time to get a new one. Right? At the expense of... Um, of a whole lot of people uh, in um, in Africa, I'd say, is is one of the main sources for a particular um, mineral that is the key to um, uh, to the uh, to the to the cells, uh, and and there's a whole lot of cost for that. Uh, in suffering, human suffering. Mm. 
just look at any commercial you know, or most TV shows, unless you're a Mr. Rogers fan. Right? Yeah. And for me, growing up, not just, no, I shouldn't say growing up, my son, Adam, growing up, <clears throat> that was my favorite. You know, I, oh, finally. That's the one TV show I could see. Oh, this is healthy. Even, even healthier. Sesame Street, as good as it is, you know, 24 frames in the blink, blink of an eye. Mr. Rogers. Is there? <laughs> oh, what a nice ring. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rogers, he's the guy who I mellowed out with, you know. And he would say, oh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know, with his cardigan sweater and just, you know, oh, yeah, chill out. This is a high being. <clears throat> and now, you know, on, on a commercial, you, you, there's like you know, 50 images in the blink of an eye. Or even, even song lyrics, you know, are, it's a staccato kind of, you know, m- machine gun rat-a-tat-tat, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, and good music. And it, it's, I, I couldn't tell you who the good, who the good uh, some, of, some of them I know, but most of them I don't. But, you know, I, not to say that it's not good. I remember I had that conversation with my parents when I was growing up, and they said, and I said, there's this guy named Bob Dylan. And my, my parents said, Bob Dylan? Oh, ooh, that's kind of weird stuff. So, you know, who, here it is, instant karma coming to get me. But the, the speed of, of music, it's, it's, uh, the slowness isn't valued in, in our culture. And particularly in this information age, it's information overwhelm. How can you keep up with it all? Uh, and I, I'll see if I, how much I should read. I read this a few. I've read this here before. It's one of my favorite articles of all time. I'll just read a little piece of it uh, by my favorite uh, author, Mark Morford. Um, the title of the article. You can Google it. It's fantastic. Hurry up, get more done, and die. <laughs> and uh, let's see. I'll just um, maybe I'll read just a bit now. Maybe you'll see if I read a little bit later. But this fact: in any forty-eight hour period in two thousand and ten, in a study that was done, and I read the study. More data was created than had been created by all of humanity in the previous 30,000 years up until 2005. In any 48-hour period. By the year 2020, that same amount of data will be created in a single hour. So you want to keep up with everything? Yeah, good luck. Um, that feeling of just being overwhelmed by all the information, and particularly when it's matched up with 
uh, one of the, the main diseases of our particular society and culture, the disease uh, known as FOMS. How many people know FOMS? FOMS, F-O-M-S, fear of missing something. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is, uh, I'm, I'm not, hmm, I'm not uh, saying that I've got this licked. I can be as seduced into hyperlink reality as, as anybody. It's a bit of a practice for me just seeing when to say enough. Um, but there it is this information overwhelm, um, and it reminded me, and I took a look on YouTube today, um, of Charlie Chaplin uh, as the assembly factory worker, assembly line factory worker in modern times. This is a movie done in 1936, quite brilliant. And there he, how many people have seen that? Oh, Wow, what a cultured audience this is! Yeah, uh, there you the ones. If you haven't seen it, there he is on the assembly line and just you know trying to keep up, keep up. And then somebody in the in the main control room says, "Speed up the the conveyor belt." You know, it's like some sadistic game they're playing, you know? and that's how we can feel. And, and it feels like we're in a bad movie just trying to keep up with everything. <clears throat> my son, my older son, Tony, um, who uh, is just a beautiful, beautiful guy. I mentioned Adam before, and uh, Tony uh, and I have just a great relationship. And, uh, and he, he shares, um, he works for, I, I won't say the company, uh, but he's got a... a, a, a um, a position of of real uh, responsibility in this company, and he comes in and he says, um, "I said, how many emails do you have today, uh, Tony? Three hundred in his inbox." He said, "That's like a, a, a you know a normal day." Ooh, I just kind of get. You know, so uh, there's so much, there's so much uh, compassion, but there it is. They, and if he takes a day off or he, he does something outside, there it is, they mount up. There's the, the bad movie. You know, the, um, the Chinese figure, Chinese character for busy, there's two characters, heart, plus killing, busy, heart killing. That's what we're doing to ourselves. So it's no wonder that stress reduction is so in. I'm in the right business, you know, (laughs) because you'd have to be either um, completely off the grid or a Luddite or have a very... um, in, um, very deep understanding of of realities to not get swept up by this and get stressed 
even if you don't have a whole lot in your life to get stressed, especially in our culture where the badge of importance and accomplishment is being busy. Now, how often does it happen where you have a conversation and, uh, and you say, how are you doing? And somebody says, oh, I'm not busy. You know. <laughs> you know. I'm doing great. I hardly do anything these days. You know. It's, I'm really busy. And there's a kind of subtle subtext. I'm doing a lot of important things. Right? I'm very needed by somebody somewhere, maybe a whole lot of people. Not always that you're saying this. And sometimes it's just plain true. I'm so busy. And you're not saying it as a badge, but you're saying it as a, uh, sometimes almost a cry for help. Mm. Now, do you think you're going to get to the end of your to-do list? Do you think that ever really happens? And even if you did, the mind would create something else that is either mm, important or exciting or the next thing to do or chores or whatever. The mind creates things to do. Sometimes it's not so easy to be not busy. Maybe now I'll, I'll read uh, just a, a, a little m- more piece, uh, another piece of, of Morford's column. We are by and large utterly terrified of silence, stillness, spaciousness, the doing of nothing so as to feel the totality of everything. Meditation for most is disquieting and strange. Deep quiet feels weird and dangerous. Avoid aching to be filled. The internet has us convinced that the world is a roaring fire hose of urgent information and if you can't swallow it all, well, something must be wrong with you. I'll just read this last passage. It's no longer possible to sit quietly on the park bench without checking your Facebook feed, chatting with Siri, waving to the closed caption TV cameras. It's no longer possible to be astonished at the wonder of your footfalls along the forest path and not feel the urge to check email, find the nearest Starbucks, hipstamatic the hell out of that beautiful fallen tree. You cannot just sit in your car along a quiet country road without the GPS beeping that you took a wrong turn as OnStar politely blows up your car. (laughs) How easily we forget. Time expands, time contracts. Work will swell or diminish to fill a given space. You can do ten things in an hour or one thing in ten. You can go to Spirit Rock Meditation Center for two solid weeks and do absolutely nothing but wander the grounds in silence for 12 hours a day and time will look at you like you're utterly insane as your breath and body thank you for all eternity. You can conversely microtask until your heart implodes and time merely will laugh and snort and find someone else to destroy. We have deadlines. Even the word, I've got all these deadlines. It's a matter of life or death, right? 
you miss the deadline and you're in trouble. Mm, How's that for a little bit of lightness of heart? And when you get to the end of your life, when you're on your deathbed, are you going to say, I got a lot done on my to-do list. I really got a lot done. Is that what a fulfilled life is? What do you want to ask yourself at the end of your life? Jack Cornfield has a a good um, suggestion. The, the, The question that really will be important at the end of your life is, did I love well? Did I share my gifts well? Did I do what I was supposed to do here? But mostly, did I love well? Getting to the end of your to-do list is not where it's at. So how to bring some sanity to this insane situation and I want to, again, confess, I grew up in New York. So we kind of, people from New York, pride themselves on intensity and speed and not being slow. My dad by the way, so this is the lineage that I come from. My dad, who was the uh, you know, major figure in my life as far as um, showing how to love. It's my first dedication in Awakening Joy to my dad who taught me how to love. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a little game with himself can I get from point A to point B in less than human time, realistic time? It was like just a little challenge to see if he could somehow beat life. You know, I, at least that's what it seemed to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, bless him was not uh, not the best transmission that, that I got. Mm-hmm. I'm working on it. So how to bring sanity to this insane situation. And as you probably can guess from yourself, uh, from your own life, um, one of the main things that I find helpful to... Move above the insanity is to get some kind of perspective on what really matters. When we can have perspective, then we can have space. And when we're stressed, it's really hard to have space and to get in touch with the wisdom that's there, the love that wants to shine through the clarity that's available to us. I, I've mentioned here before, somebody gave, uh, uh, this Tibetan master gave a, a talk at Spirit Rock uh, a number of years ago, and he said, um, I want to um, 
sum up all of Dharma practice in two words. Here's the two words that you should remember. Everybody got very attentive. You know, it's like the old E.F. Hutton commercial, if you remember that one. Oh, two words summing up the whole Dharma. And then he said, be spacious. Because if you can have that space, then all of those beautiful qualities shine through. But when there's no space and you're stressed, your mind tends to the negative and uh, not very creative solutions. In fact, I'll, I'll read this little study that I have in my book. He says, um, this is from Danny Goldman, Emotional Intelligence. New solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying, especially chronic worry. Instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself, immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. You know, that's neuroscientifically. You cannot open up to uh, your wisdom when there's contraction. So getting perspective, giving space. And that's, of course, why people go on vacations and go on holidays. Let me just take a break. We all need to take a break. Even God took a break after six days. Okay, enough. I think I'll just kind of... See what I've done here. And the Sabbath is holy. But we don't realize how holy that is and how needed it is in our makeup. I was speaking to somebody who I uh, support and who I I mentor in uh, this this, uh, heavenly messenger program that I I lead, uh, co-lead. And she's this very beautiful soul who's in, um, she's a, a physician and just finishing her residency. And she, along with all of her colleagues, peers, finishing residency, and the new people coming up that she is um, trying to mentor herself, so overwhelmed there she she gets she said um in the last couple of weeks you know, four hours of sleep was a lot and she w- there were tears coming through the phone and then we kind of hung out together and and uh she remembered who she was and uh uh it's it's insane what they do to physicians putting them through this um, inhuman situation where they're, then they're supposed to make all these important life or death decisions. Mm. So there's the, the, the conundrum right there and also the conundrum that we get addicted to speed. You know, we get addicted to stimulation. You come on retreat and it takes a few days to withdraw from the stimulation. Uh, and so people are kind of like, slogging through, oh, there's nothing that's keeping me awake here. And you go through the the nods, you know. (laughs) 
You know, oh, somebody, not a whole lot of stimulation for the first couple of days. You know, somebody must have pulled the plug here. You know, and you don't realize how exhausted you are. Uh, and even when it's dukkha, even when it's suffering, we still get addicted and are checking email or uh, whatever it is. Uh, and, and we also pride ourselves on multitasking. I'll get back to the perspective in a moment, but we pride ourselves on multitasking. How many things can you do? And in fact, when you're multitasking, n- neurologically, you cannot experience true well-being because as you're going from one task to another, jumping back and forth, you're, uh, in, the, in the brain, you're missing out on the pleasure centers and you're, you're jumping from, from one, salute, one activity to another and there can't, there's not an activation of your, the centers of well-being. So you might think that it's great to have 10 things up in the air, but you cannot experience true well-being when you're doing it. So getting some space and getting some perspective is really essential if you want to move out of this insanity. And in, in Dharma practice, the, the mental factor that is uh, an awakening factor of well-being that points to spaciousness is equanimity. Maybe even just hearing the word uh, equanimity or balance. But what equanimity is, one definition of equanimity is to have the, a bigger perspective so that you're not thrown by the ups and downs of life as they come. And as you see the bigger picture, the more you can see the bigger picture, the, the less things seem so crucial. You know, it's like, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. That's what equanimity is about. In the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, m- not everything is small stuff. But most of what we get wrapped up in is small stuff. It's one reason why people crave retreats. You know, so much of the time people write out on retreats, uh, on their retreat uh, uh, interview sheet or uh, um, um, questionnaire, uh, current practice, um, none. I'm really looking forward to getting back into it. And they've listed like 10 retreats. You know, I've gone here, here, here. I need another retreat because that's a kind of enforced unplugging. And there's no doubt about it that when you often, if you can do it for a few days, you come back home and you come back to your center. So definitely retreats and meditation practice is so, so helpful. But I'm not going to just stop there. But I do want to give a plug for meditation practice, as long as it's what I do, right? 
And what it does, one way you can think of it, even if it's not doing a retreat, even if it's just 20 minutes or 10 minutes or two minutes, that counts, is getting into the posture you are remembering to stop. You are remembering that there's a whole reality inside. And as I've mentioned here before, my pact, my agreement that I have with myself, that sometime during the day, before my head hits the pillow at night, I'm going to get into the posture. And most days I sit in the morning, and I also sit in the evening a few times a week, uh, and I have many mindfulness moments a few times in the day when I can remember it, just closing my eyes for a minute or so. Uh, but it's like rebooting the system and stepping off the treadmill and just, once I'm in the posture, it's a feeling of, oh, this is good. It's just so hard to get there. That's the hard part is the momentum of the busyness. But once you get there, I've been doing this for a long time and I can't remember having meditated and afterwards saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I mean, it sounds, unless you're giving yourself a report card and saying, oh, I was all over the map, that was a waste of time, which I don't recommend. You just put your time in and whatever happens, happens. But once you're there, your body and your mind craves it. Oh, yes. Ah, thank you. Thank you, mind. And if you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders because so many people are depending on you, I uh, recommend hearing Peace Pilgrim's words of wisdom. Peace Pilgrim was this very, very wise um, woman uh, who, uh, I think she died around 1980 or so, who traveled for about 30 years with just a toothbrush in her hand across the country. Very, very wise. I recommend Peace Pilgrim. She has a book and some uh, and website uh, of her wisdom. She says, if your life is in harmony with your part in the life pattern, and if you are obedient to the laws which govern this universe, then your life is full and good, but not overcrowded. If it is overcrowded, you're doing more than is right for you to do, more than is your job to do in the total scheme of things. So, doing retreats, having a daily practice where you just stop, all of those are really wonderful. The trick, though, is how to get perspective in the middle of your activity. How to get perspective when you're stressed out. Because that's when we really can forget and lose it. Because everything seems so important. There's the amygdala in our brains, that almond-shaped, cluster of neurons that scans the horizon for what can go wrong and it is overactive and while it's being while it's firing 
it's very hard to remember perspective. So how to get perspective and remember the bigger picture while you're in the middle of the intensity. And this takes practice. That's one reason why doing retreats and a daily meditation practice can be so helpful because you're getting more and more um, tuned into your center, more and more tuned into that place of home. Even when you're getting, um, uh, having a very busy day, there's a place that you know you can return to. I, I think of it as like pre-programming the dial on the radio station. Ah, home. That's a good one. So that definitely has its effect. And also daily sitting practice and even those many many moments of meditation when you're booting up, when your computer is booting up, if it's taking a while instead of, oh, time to throw it out and get a new one, great, time for myself. Or the phone rings instead of, yeah, who is it? And they're interrupting you. Thich Nhat Hanh has the, his, his teaching. He says, wait until the second ring at least and say to yourself, listen, listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true self. Then the phone ringing is the bell of mindfulness. And you're more likely to answer in a, in a kind way, because it's the Buddha on the other end of the line, you know, waking you up. You say, hello, yes. If it's a telemarker, thank you, goodbye. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's these little games that you can play with yourself and little reminders, you know, as you, uh, Kate, on the weekend, uh, she was saying to, um, that we just taught together at Mount Madonna, she says uh, a big, big part of her practice is every time going uh, through a door, that's a reminder to be present and be mindful. Mm. A few other supports besides the sitting practice and the, the mini mindfulness practice, particularly about getting the bigger perspective and realizing how much of it is, this, is small stuff. One is um, the five reflections or five remembrances that we've spoken about here that the Buddha says to keep in mind every day sometimes called the five daily reflections. And I've gone through a series of talks on, on these. You can look it up on, on Dharma Seed uh, or on our website. All the talks from our, from our times here together are recorded on the website. Uh, the five remembrances. I am of the nature to grow old. This body is not beyond aging I am of the nature to become ill. This body is not beyond illness. I am of the nature to die. This body is not beyond death. Everything and everyone near and dear to me, 
I will be separated from. And I am the heir of my karma. My actions determine my suffering or my happiness. When you, and he says, reflect on those every day, not to bum yourself out, but to see what really matters in this world. Oh, this life goes by very quickly and the people that we care about will not always be here and the things that we care about will not always be here. We have a finite number of moments in our life. And when you realize, as I said in the instructions when we started, this moment has never been here before and will never be here again. Ah, can I be here for this moment, not in a frenetic way so I can get to the next moment and so I can get to the following moment, but to see, oh, Life is happening right now. And whatever the little drama that's happened, that you're in the middle of, or sometimes a big drama, and I don't want to minimize deep, um, um, important events, but whatever it is you're going through is just part of your journey. And you've gone through infinite number of events in the past that seemed so important, where are they now? There's just a handful of life-changing events that are on that level that, oh, I really need to take this in. Most of the stuff is just stuff. Important stuff, yeah, it's the only game in town. As Ramdas says, it's the only dance there is the movie of my life. But to see it's just a movie and not to take it as the ultimate event in your life. You know, it's kind of like when the lights get turned on at the end of a movie and you've been through a, you know, an action, I don't go to too many action movies, but, you know, every now and then I see, you know, you come through, whew, and then they turn on the lights. Oh yeah, it's just a movie. You know? So having those kinds of reflections that give you some space and seeing, let's just play at my life. Let's do this movie with the best, that, best heart that I can, but just let's remember it's a movie. Or as um, Carlos Castaneda used to say, used to call it, living with controlled folly. Do you remember Carlos Castaneda? How many people read Carlos Castaneda? Yeah, Really good for those who are, have come after Carlos Castaneda. You know. <laughs> really good set of, of books. Controlled folly. You know, the, the, the Don Juan books, Journey to Ixlan and stuff like that. He said, live your life with controlled folly. As, as if every moment counts, so you're really showing up for it, but seeing the folly of it all, it doesn't really matter, most of it. And there's both of them. It matters, but it doesn't matter. Or as, as T.S. Eliot says uh, in Four Quartets, I think it is, teach me to care and not to care. 
And when you think not just of your own life, but the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, even when it comes to things like um, climate change, which, as you know, is very uh, much in my mind and my heart, even then, the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, astronomy was my doorway to the Dharma. When you see this little speck of life, of everything that we know on this little speck, world systems coming and going. And yeah, this speck counts. It's all we have. So we better do our best to keep it vibrant and healthy. But in the bigger picture, humanity, like so many other species, have come and gone. If we come and go, that's part of the bigger picture not to minimize that, but just to keep on seeing our place in this vast, immense mystery called life. Mm -hmm. So the five reflections, another, um, another set of reflections that helps the bigger, bigger picture are called um, the four mind changers or four um, uh, four turnings of the mind. This precious human birth, how rare it is to be born a human. We've talked about this before. Amazing good karma that you are born a human that can not only feel life, but be aware of itself and be aware of others and be able to love and be able to care and be able to wake up and know itself. As Brian Swim says, we are a star's way of knowing itself. And here we've been given this consciousness that is self-reflexive, so amazingly rare. What are you going to do? I, this, I gave a talk uh, last month. Remember, what, what will you do from Mary Oliver's poem, kind of a little twist. What will you do with your wild and precious good karma? Will you just be busy doing your to-do list? Precious human birth, Karma, the, the fact that what we do now is creating our reality in the future. And the more we can come from connectedness and love, the more we are sowing the seeds for well-being. The more we come from stress and fear and confusion, the more we are sowing seeds for our suffering right there, cause and effect. And that's the second of these mind changers. The um, defects of samsara is a third of these mind changers where you see life isn't just about getting as much as you can as soon as you can. That the game is set up 
it, there's a seduction in the game that keeps it going around that when we see through, we see where peace is really possible and not to get seduced by those defects of samsara. And impermanence and death, again, as, as I said just a moment ago in that other list, the, f- the fourth of the mind changers. Everything is passing and we are going to be at the end of our life very soon. Why not be here for it? Why not get the, the most bang for your buck you know, in this life you've been issued? So that all leads me to my main practice that I give to myself when I'm getting caught up in self-importance or in task importance. The title of the talk. This came to me, I don't know how long, maybe a decade or so, as I was kind of spinning my wheels and, and driving myself a little nuts, saying, I've got so much to do. I've got so many important things to do. People are depending on me. And then I realized, if I went on a vacation, the world would still survive. It was a, you know, it was a, 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 a revelation. It was an epiphany. If I died tomorrow, somehow the world would survive. Well, I don't have to wait till I die or go on vacation until I just chill out. What price am I paying for feeling this internal pressure that I'm putting on myself? What an incredible pressure, busy, heart-killing. And I remembered that, that definition. And I said to myself, behind is just a state of mind. I don't have to kill myself. The world is going to go on. And if I don't kill myself, maybe everybody else will be better off too. I'll still be around to do whatever I can do in a good way, and I won't be as you know, nasty or uptight or whatever, stressed out. And so I just periodically take hit the pause button and just see, wait a moment. Okay, I'm doing the best I can. Let's just chill. And that's how you truly get the most out of life. As I've mentioned here before, Ramdas, my mentor, teacher, saying true contentment, true fulfillment is learning to plumb the depths of this moment. Not to skit across the surface, but to plumb the depths of this moment. And when these days, when I'm starting to feel myself just a bit revved up, ah, that's when I do those mini meditations and just come back to myself and remember, ah, life is happening here. I can play the game of being James, whoever, whatever the role I'm in, and 
ah, life is just expressing itself through me. So I want to just in a, a few moments that the a few minutes that we have, just invite you to reflect on something and then maybe we can have some time for a few questions. Just uh, go inside and just ask yourself, when do you tend to get ahead of yourself? When do you tend to somehow be on the hamster wheel and, um, and forget that there's, you're just on a wheel and you can get off. When does that happen for you? Maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe you've got kids, uh, young kids and all, and that makes it a bit harder, whatever. When for you do you tend to get spun around? What's it like in there when you do? How are you in your relating to others besides how it feels inside? What would it be like if you remembered that wider perspective, what really matters in my life? Is this so important that it's worth the busyness of heart killing? And what could you say to yourself maybe to help you remember whether it's what I said or what you could say to yourself. Maybe even have an image of yourself right in the middle of that frenetic moment and all of a sudden you remember, ah, come back to myself and say whatever it is that reminds you behind is just a state of mind. Remembering to breathe, feel yourself alive, a moment of reconnection and gratitude. So we just have a couple of minutes. Uh, If there's any comment or question that's come up, let's just see before we we close. Yeah, okay, yell it out.
<laughs> yes. Sure, yeah. He, he said that uh, there's so many things here, so, uh, so, so many books and statues, and uh, it seems very busy. And, you know, there's different styles, uh, and this is, this is um, uh, the, the monastery that we're here, uh, and all of these uh, that, that opens us, that gives us our, our, our space to sit here, and all of these can be seen either as busy or as reminders. And so it, they, they can be seen as skillful means. If that's not settling to you, then in your own home, you know, you might be drawn to more Zen-like where it's just empty space or walls there's no right or wrong. I don't want to say that there's a right or wrong. And there's different styles and different ways to be inspired. Uh, and if you find that there's clutter in your space, then uh, you, know, you can use this as a reminder to say, no, that's not my way. And still honor all of the uh, inspiring um, images around here. Yes. Yes. Maybe uh, here, since it's being recorded, uh, and just so everybody can hear you, speak right into it, and then we'll go. So my question is related. I find that when I meditate, I almost always am drawn into a really peaceful, quiet space. Mm. Sometimes there are some variations on that theme, Mm -hmm. but it's generally towards peacefulness and quiet and Mm. deep calm. Yes. And... I have an identical twin sister who doesn't have that inclination. Mm. And I'm wondering if, this, if there's a lot of variation when people sit down to meditate, if we all enter very different kinds of places and they're just characteristically maybe different from one person to the next. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there are lots of different factors of awakening. There's the stilling factors and there's the... Uh, uh, in, um, energizing factors. There's investigation. Some people sit and they just want to take a look and see. And it can vary from one sitting to another, from person to person. Some people experience joy and energy. Some people experience calm. Some, the, the spaciousness of equanimity. And every time it's different too. So if you are naturally inclined there, Lucky you if that's where you like to go. Some people find calm and quiet kind of boring and get and need a, uh, and are saying, "Well, I got to get used to this stuff." So everybody is different, and that's the beauty of the exploration. Mm. So we can close with a short loving kindness. I'll just read uh, this poem that I was going to uh, share from Dana Falls. Uh, called Walk Slowly. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, and just like that, something in me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race. 
that we will all cross the finish line, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without even knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. So, stop for a moment, breathe, be, feel a connection with yourself and with all of us, and wish yourself well. May I remember what's important and be here for my life. May I learn to love well, share my love well, and know real peace and happiness. And may I share that with everyone I know. And may our coming here together be for the benefit, well-being, awakening of all beings everywhere. Thank you very much for your attention. <clears throat> Have a good week. Uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Kate will be here next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.